Kokorongo kite tangi a te kori mako Ko rero flowing a te hoka force Ko papa relevant, ko papa out of bounds Ko papa exigent, ko papa paramount Nga ko nga whakapiri mai ki te Ko papa tino whakahira hira Whakarongo pi kari kari mai Hare hare mai, o tari ngā hare hare mai We gotta gather up close everybody Gather up close everybody Kane kane move that body Kane kane move that body Kia ora! Kia ora! <laughs> <laughs> Tēnā tātou e te iwi. Here we are on episode... Fitu te Marua. Fitu te Marua. Yeah, Fitu te Marua, And today we're changing it up. Well, it's been a change up really since you started. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no, good change. <laughs> okay, I hope so. Yeah. So this week, we are going to be answering questions from the Facebook page. Yes, and we're going to call this Patapatai. Patapatai. Before we get into Patapatai, you've got us a kiwaha though, eh? Yes, I do have a kiwaha. Kiwaha. This week's kiwaha is me ko piwaiwaka. Me ko piwaiwaka. Do you want to give a brief explanation? To my understanding, it's just, it means you're a nāke, what a yeah, nāke, or, that's, you that's know, tell tell. And I think it comes from when Maui turned into a mukomuko, and he was calling up the thigh of his tupuna hinenui te pō to, oh. to enter her whare tangata, well, yep. so mankind could be immortal. But piwaiwaka, or tirairaka, or tiwakawaka, or piwakawaka. Yeah, so many names for yeah, one yeah, For the fantail, yep. laughed, and woke hinenui te pō up. So that's one yeah. And then I heard you saying that yeah, he's so, like a bit of a messenger. Yeah, and so from what I've heard of all of Tane's children, all the birds have their different roles and the piwaiwaka or tirairaka is known to flit around from tree to tree. So he was sort of the messenger bird. Yeah, He'd flit around, spread the gossip or spread the message mm. and maybe also got renowned to be a bit of an arc. Yeah, mm. cool. You know, I just searched on MaoriDictionary.co.nz fantail, <laughs> and we have tiwaiwaka, tirairaka, piwakawaka, tirairaka pango, ti takataka, tiwakawaka, hirairaka. Oh my god! Pirairaka, pirakaraka, pirangirangi. I didn't know that one. <laughs> no, That's I never different. heard that one. That's different. Pi takataka, tirakaraka. I like this one, and I saw this one a while ago now. Tirauraka. Tirauraka. Mm, I like that one. Waka waka. Waka waka e. <laughs> he wai waka and pi wai waka. And ti ti oh, and, okay, still There going. you go. <laughs> Isn't that cool, though? Yeah, that's real cool. Do you reckon the reason there could be that many names for one bird is that maybe every iwi how they have their own dialect and have their own sort of kupu. Maybe that's, what, about 11 different iwi's special kupu for that one bird? Yeah, definitely. My auntie used to say piwaiwaka. Yeah. But I say tirairaka. Yeah, I've grown up with tirairaka. Yeah, and I've had piwakawaka, but definitely it's because of that iwi thing. Yeah. I think too, like, just on the story of the tirairaka being yeah. this, this sort of what do you think that would derive from? What? Tirauraka. Tirauraka. Yeah, I think the most different one though I read was... was the rangirangi one. Something rangirangi, eh? Yeah. Yeah. But there's another bird, 
we might have to do it once upon a time or another story about Hatu Patu and uh, yes. Yeah. and yep. then there was the bird that flew to tell her about what he had done oh. which was the whole middle middle or the middle middle the tongue yeah. tip or the middle and yeah same sort of a thing he went to tell Kurungaituku what Mare called Piwaiwaka yeah a saying for the middle is if you're really particular or you got an eye for detail oh. and now we use it commonly someone who edits something and they can pick up any sort of T's that weren't crossed and I's that weren't dotted. Yeah. No errors. Yeah, that's called Kanohi Ho Middle Middle. Kanohi Ho Middle Middle. We've yeah. got a few around this building. That's right. Yeah. Well, no, Tata, the Kiyango Kiwaharane Moterane is me ko Piwaiwaka. Questions from Facebook. Pata Patai. Mm-hmm. We asked on the page, what are some kopapa you'd like to hear us discuss? Mm. This came from Tanya Short. Thank you, Tanya. Yeah, thank you, Tanya. She would like to hear us discuss kirituhi and moko, mm-hmm. Māori kai, that's the part I'm wow. really interested in. Hey, Māori, yep. Moon cycles for planting and fishing and how to apply them into our modern life. Wow. Three very different, well, two of them you can put together. Yeah. Kirituhi and moko. Kirituhi is a type of moko, and I think moko or ta moko, moko is to make a mark. That's yeah. basically what moko means. Yeah. You know, when our tūpuna signed the treaty, they were asked to put their moko oh, yes. on the treaty. Now we use the word waitohu, and moko is another word that I still hear used as your signature. So yeah. it's your identity. Ta moko is our traditional practice of embellishing one's skin with traditional Māori tattoo or tatau yeah. and in there has a whakapapa yeah. and as Māori we have a whakapapa to the origins of tāmoko through Niwareka Mataora and Niwareka's father Uetonga yeah. so to my understanding that is tāmoko or moko and some iwi have different words for that as well like you have tārua mm. and even the word moko derives from Ruo Moko, yeah, Ruo Moko yeah. who is the ancestor of Uetonga, who Niwareka descends from. True. And then when Ruo Moko does his thing, you see the Moko on the land from after an earthquake, so he leaves yeah. the Moko on his mother. Yeah. So that's Ta Moko. Kirituhi is a word, I think Mark Kopua came up with that saying. No, actually, I know he did. And it was a term that the Moko community of tohunga or artists came up with or he came up with a kupu for for them to use to practice the giving of tāmoko but without the from what I understand the cultural things that underpin it as tāmoko yeah so to sort of like lighten it a bit yeah yeah so it hasn't got as stronger ties to Mm. the whakapapa of tāmoko yeah. And it was a way that they could give people an experience of tāmoko without the weight yeah. of the whakapapa. Yeah. So that's my understanding of what kirituhi is as opposed to tāmoko. Yeah, it's probably a better way of putting it. Because I've always thought kirituhi is people who still appreciate tāmoko, mm. but they're not Māori. Yeah. You know what? Even a Māori who goes into a tattoo shop and gets something off the board, mm. yeah. I would call that a kirituhi. This would be a good debate, and it's something I've been thinking about for a while. We put our cultural restrictions, I guess, or tikanga, on who can have a tāmoko yeah. and things like that. 
for us as as a people, Māori and others, oh, well, you're not Māori, so that's a kirituhi. And yet I see a lot of Māori wearing symbols that don't belong to us. Yeah. Egyptian, yeah. Greek, Japanese, you know, and other cultures. Yeah. So I would call that kirituhi because we don't have a whakapapa to those and it's yeah. not of our world view. That's actually funny you bring that up because I'm a bit of a hypocrite there. Mm. Yeah, so I guess when I, you know, would see people like, who who's that? Um, was it Robin? Robbie Williams. R- yeah, Robbie, Robbie Williams. Williams. You know, with, and he's got, he got his... got the sleeve done, eh? Yeah, mm. and you know, there's many other non-Māori people wearing tāmoko and... Yeah. I just think, oh, I don't know, I don't, I don't really like that. Yeah. I've done a little bit of travel and one of my things to do when I go overseas, instead of, you know, buying more stuff to put in my suitcase and bring home and sit on a shelf and collect dust, yeah. I thought, well, oh, I'm just going to get little tattoos from everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got one here on my wrist that's actually Tahitian. Yeah. And I got that on my 21st trip to New Caledonia. I met a- Are you older than 21? <laughs> Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> and um, I used to manage the shop at the base and we had some Tahitian customers come in and mm. you could tell they were from Tahiti. And I was talking to them and I was really excited. I was like, oh, I've, I've got a Tahitian tattoo. And I showed them. And the look that I got from their face was that they weren't that impressed. Mm. And then I was like, oh, okay, you know, they they don't like that. So I kind of uh, just brushed it off and like carried on or whatever else we were talking about. Mm. And after they left, it, then it dawned on me is they probably felt the same way that I feel, yep. or, you know, used to feel about other people, non-Māori wearing mm. tāmoko or kirituhi. So after that, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a bit more selective. <laughs> yeah. That's good that, that you put thought into it like some people don't, you know. So, I think we answered that. Kare to here, moko. Kai Māori, that's a big one. Yes, because... What is kai Māori? Is it a Māori cooking food? <laughs> like, it? same question about Māori art, eh? I've yeah, had this, you know, kōrero with people. Yeah. Is Māori art... What is Māori art? What is kai Māori? And oh. the, uh, it's the kai that we know as kai Māori, but then a lot of our kai, like, boil up. Yeah. As a contemporary traditional food. Well, I feel like every culture's got their own sort of boil-up. Yeah. But ours is just simply called boil-up. And yeah. other cultures, they have flash names for their boil-ups. Yeah. It's but, something we adopted off the Irish, so I hear. Oh, really? Irish stew. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got all our varieties, so, you know, they've got watercress or puha or yeah. cabbage or, or puata. Or things like um, um, horopito. Yeah. And like kawakawa, you can use all of that in cooking. Yeah. So yeah, I think we've got our foods that aren't truly traditional, but they've become a part of the Māori, I should say, um, menu. Yeah. Staple, like even like raw fish, you know. There's, oh. some, there's those things that you have on the table at a hakari yeah. that you would see. And, then, even... and, and our way of cooking kai, like umu yeah. or hangi, is traditional, but then some of the things, a lot of the things we put in aren't. So like Potatoes? So, yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah. Potatoes, pork, chicken, stuffing, pumpkin. Oh, stuffing, yeah. Hey, prob- the yep, only thing in there up. is kumara. Yeah, what did they used to put in it? Kumara, fern root, fish. Fish, yeah. You could cook anything in the umu. Kereru. Kereru. Yeah. I've had tuna cooked in the umu, beautiful. Didn't we have that at the hotapu? That's right. Yes. We had tuna at the hotapu. Yep. So there's yeah, lots of... That was beautiful. 
And then I think there's some things that are sort of like toroi, I think, is a traditional kai. Oh, so, I don't know if I'm the biggest fan of toroi. I love toroi, but it's got to be fresh. I love it fresh. Yeah. So toroi, for those of our listeners who don't know, toroi is puha, which is a, what is puha? Is it, I think it's, it's called it's South, like a, South Asol or something. I don't know, but it's prickly. got a bit of a spice to it. You've got taratara, which is a sort of a prickly uh, one. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got the smooth puha, which is the poruru. Poruru. Yeah, and it's got a sort of a bitter taste. Yeah. Yeah, so puha and toroi. I think down the coast, they do a lot of, why they like Uncle Danny, he yep. bottles kahawai and then they tefa mm. up and we do a lot yep. of that. And yeah, and then even from further down the coast in areas like Ruatoria, they have the fermented seaweed. Yes, I've never had fermented seaweed. We're down there in, um, where were we? Tinatoka. Yeah. And we don't really know that side of our whānau that well. And they'd heard we were coming down and so they met us at the marae and we went up to the Urupa, learned all this stuff. It was really cool. And then um, they gave us some parungo with... We um, say cutting. Yeah, with um, flatbread, mm. fresh flatbread and butter. And at first I was like, oh, just eating it to be polite. Mm. But then as I started getting through it, I was like, oh, I think I actually like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I've acquired the taste for parungo. Yeah. I never used to really like it. Actually, I didn't like it at all. But now I do. I do like it. I like it dried too. Oh, I've never had it dried. Yeah, it's nice to stay as a snack. It's good for you. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is is quite a big topic, kai Māori. And if you were to go, like, you were talking about going to Tinatoka and their specialty, I guess, is fermented seaweed. And a lot of iwi had their specialty, like... I remember going to Tōrere one time for, um, it was a tangi. Yeah. And we got given kao, which is dried kumara. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and it's really, really nice. It's ultra, ultra sweet. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. Um, I would have thought they would give you some, like, some sort of kūtai from that area. No, we had kao. We had kao. We even bought some homes. First and last time I've ever had it. I haven't had it anywhere else. And, you know, then we've got all our shellfish and things, but I think it's the preparation of the kai. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many of you out there have tried karaka berries. No, I haven't. Yeah, so I've had them twice. Yeah. And it's the preparation because they're poisonous. If you don't prepare them properly, you know, you're oh over. Yeah. Hang and on. there's quite a bit of a preparation that you've got to leave them in the stream for so many days and you've got to dry them out then you've got to cook them in the umu. And wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're probably wondering, why go to all the trouble? Well, back in the day, you know, karaka was profuse in a lot of rohe. Or were profuse, mm-hmm. I should say, in a lot of rohe. So, yeah, every iwi had their sort of specialty in the kai. And a lot of it was like today is seasonal, or should be. Mm-hmm. I think we had a conversation once, might have been on Taringa, about how now when we go in the supermarket, you can pretty much buy anything. Like yeah, back you in can, the day, yeah. you could only buy tomatoes when it was tomato season. Tomato season, season yeah. And this is a quarter I've had with something that a lot of the kai we eat puts our body out of whack because it does, yeah. It's not the season that you should be eating that food. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's another kōrero. A whole other kōrero. So, yeah, kai Māori, that's a big kaupapa. What is kai Māori? Well, the reason I kind of really wanted to touch on that one, because if you go further down this list, we have one from Parewai Rāmeka. Mm. And she says, Kia ora rā, 
During the latest Once Upon a Time episode, Ngātoroi Rangi instructed his rōpū to stay in a fasted state while he climbed Tongariro. Mm. Were there particular occasions where fasting was permitted? Mm. Can you elaborate on the objective of reaching a fasted state? Tinana, wairua and hiningaro. Oh, pai tēnā pātai. Yes, because as soon as I read that one and I read the first one, uh, triggered this conversation I had with someone ages ago. Mm. They were talking about how Māori people used to traditionally use food to embody different states. Mm. So, for instance, if you were going to war, you might eat something like shark. Mm. So you could take on those characteristics of a shark. Mm. Um, and I can't remember the other um, examples that he gave during this conversation, but I just thought that was so interesting. Our kupu for fasting, which now we use for dieting, but traditionally was used for fasting, is whakatiki. And to my understanding and what I've been told is whakatiki would be used a lot in wānanga to achieve a state of tapu as well. Mm, true. Yeah. Because food is always used to whakanoa. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if you've tried fasting for spiritual, not and, you know, spiritual and physical go hand in hand. But when you do fast, you go into a state. Mm. So whakatiki was used a lot in the wānanga. Myself and others, we will whakatiki if we've got a big kaupapa coming up, uh, dawn ceremony, and we'll whakatiki the night before. Yeah. Just to put us in that frame of mind of tapu and then won't eat till afterwards until it's the hākari or we have our whakanoa ceremony when we eat some kumara. Yeah. Usually after we've opened the house or something. Yeah. One of my colleagues, her, she was telling about her kroa. Uh, actually, I think it was her father. If they went to a tangi, he'd wake up in the morning and they'd organise to go to a tangi. He wouldn't eat that whole day until after he'd spoken at the tangi. And I know a lot of kaumatu who would have practiced the same thing. So yeah. ev- even if they were going like the tangi was a good three, four hour drive away yeah. and you don't know how long you're going to be on the paipai, he Ooh. would put himself into this frame of tapu. Yeah. And he wouldn't eat until after the tangi hanga. Yeah. Or after he had spoken and performed all the tikanga that he had to. Mm. We did use whakatiki yeah. as a way of getting into a spiritual state of tapu. So that's a bit of an answer to that. Yeah, so maybe that was why he instructed his rōpū to stay in a fasted state. Yeah, it would have been to stay in a state of tapu. If any of you follow me on Instagram, you may have noticed I'm obsessed with rocks and crystals. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> love collecting all the different crystals. Mm. They just look cool and I like to think, you know, they do have a wairua about them. Absolutely. Obviously, one of my favourites is Ponamu. Mm. So we have here from Finn Ogle. He'd like us to discuss te tikanga mō Ponamu. Good pātai there. And again, there's, I'm not sure if they're tikanga, but I know there's some things that I've been told, like the story of the Ponamu. Ponamu comes from a fish. Oh, really? From, in the Māori world view, yeah. So yeah. te ika ngahue o te whatua poutini. One thing is to be very careful when you've got Ponamu and you're around water whether it be fresh or salt water. And of course, we get Ponamu from the water and they've got the Arahura River and yep. others down the west coast of the way Ponamu. Yep. So Ponamu comes from a fish. Last week when I was in Papaioia, the enemy of the Ponamu is the mata or the waiapu. 
And again, it goes back into our kōrero tukuiho. Yes, and you must elaborate on this. Yeah, and this is one of the stones that was used to shape the ponamu. Ah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. you know, it's pretty cool how those kōrero tukuiho, you know, have a practical meaning as That's well That's pretty us. cool because there's always like a yin and yang to something, eh? Yeah. So ponamu mm. and the mata. Yeah, and the mata. But to be careful if you're wearing ponamu, you know, to me there's... Tikanga always has two sides. It has the iho atua, which is the tikanga that's been handed down, and we can provide a whakapapa to that tikanga of where it comes from and how it looks after us. And then there's the practical side of a tikanga. You know, I've been told, oh, don't wear your ponam in the water. Oh, really? I always take mine in the water, especially back home yeah. down the coast. So. Well, one, for one reason is just because the ponam will always try and get away from me because uh. it's a fish. And the other one is because it could come off well, yeah. <laughs> and you lose it in the water. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's the practical thing of it. Yeah. So that's one tikanga. I think this question too could be about the different types of ponamu. Yeah. I'm not an expert on on Neither, ponamu. But, um, kahurangi was, is the mm-hmm. very rare one, eh? Yep. Kahurangi. Does it actually have more of a bluish It does have colouring? a bit of a blueish it's sort of a bluish green. Because is that how it would have got the name Kahurangi or is it mm. from something completely different? No, definitely. I think Kahurangi. And, but the other thing too is Kahurangi also means to be treasured. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's actually a kipu whakarite, eh? Yep. Eti Kahurangi. Yeah. And then you've got Tangiwai. Yeah. Inanga. Inanga, yep. And others. That's the more of the speckled sort of one, eh? Yeah, and you can get right onto the light, light green, almost milky green. Yeah. And that's Inanga. Is it okay or not okay to buy it for yourself? I'm reminded of this time when I judged at the Matatini. Yeah. In Waiohika, actually, in Gisborne. Yeah. I was sitting beside Wharehuia Milroy. And we didn't get much time to go out and have a look at a lot of the stalls. Nah, and, you wouldn't, um, man. Just nah. such a busy job. Yeah. But we got some free time one night, well, afternoon. We got to go out and have a look for half an hour. And I saw this beautiful, beautiful mere ponamu. Yeah. You know, with a beautiful, beautiful price. <laughs> I bet. Oh. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I thought, oh, but I just thought it was so beautiful. It's the colour of it. Yeah. It's very, very different. Anyway, I went back to the judges podium or whatever. I sat down and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Whadehuya sensed that and he said to me, I kite koe te aha, I kite rānei te aha i koe. Which means, what did you see or what saw you? Mm. And I said, oh, I kite au e te tahi mere paunamu, I explained to him. And he said to me, hokona. And I said, oh, e tika, and he goes, hokona. Kei te kōrero tō ngākau. Well, we didn't have time to go back that particular day. And the next day, I was still sort of humming and harring. Yeah. And we did get some time and I sort of went back and I was going to do this sort of like walk by having a look. Yeah. And, and I saw someone holding it. Oh, no. And then exactly my heart started beating. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as they put it down, I grabbed it. Yeah. And anyway, my whakaro was, I wasn't actually buying it for me. I was buying it for our whānau, for our hapu. And our whānau, we don't have a mere namu. And that's another story. We gifted them out of our yep. hapu to be looked after by other people. So we don't actually have one in our whānau. So actually, while I bought it and I'm the kaitiaki, I tell everybody in our whānau, oh, this belongs to our whānau. Yeah. And Wharehuia named it. He oh, named cool. it as well. Man, so, yeah. if he said it's all good, then it's all good. Yeah, and then we sort of had a discussion about it. And, and I think we get a bit, I don't want to use the word precious, but 
we can find things that we do today that our tupuna done back in the old days. So many ponamu were swapped. Yeah. They were swapped for canoes. They were swapped for kākahu. Yeah. Not just any waka, you know, like, so the value of a mere ponamu, you could swap a mere ponamu for a waka taua. Wow. And X amount of kākahu or traditional Māori cloaks and things, yeah. you know. So that was the value put on mere ponamu. And like, you know, some of the swords, like you see those swords on Excalibur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the Excalibur of Te Ao Māori or the Excaliburs. Mm. A lot of these mere ponamu were famous and they still are today. They're in our mōtetea, they're in our, in our traditions from all iwi. And we swapped them. Yeah. We bartered them. Yeah. We used them to trade. So my whakaaro was, well, I haven't got a wakatoa to swap for this mere ponamu or some fine cloaks or anything, but I've got some money. And that was my whakaaro and buying it. Yeah. yeah. So I think I approached it from a very whakaaro Māori way. Yeah. Not just I'm going to buy that pudzi because that mere because I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of a thing. Well, I don't know. Like, I think it's good that you did get it because would have been, and I've done it a few times, you know, window shopping or whatever, you see something and you like it and mm. then you walk away and you don't get it and you're thinking about it for ages. Yeah. Almost regret exactly. not getting whatever it was. I took it to Po to Karakia, Po Temara, while we were still in Tūranga, and I think it was the day the top nine performed. I don't know if it was nine, then it might still have been six. And um, I think it was nine. Yeah, the Matangirua, that's right. He said, oh, ko waita ingo te mere nei, and I says, oh, hasn't got one. And he says, well, when you get a name, then I'll Karakia, the mere. And I thought, okay. So I asked Wharehuia to name it. And that's the other thing. You know, I get a lot of people ask me to bless their taonga. Yeah. And for those of you wondering, what are you, what are what is someone actually doing when they bless the tonga? Yes, no, I've wondered this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a cleansing of the tonga for the security of the owner or who you're going to gift it to, so they know that it's given to them without anything on it. Yeah. And then they can imbue what they want to into yeah. the tonga. And usually, part of my karakia is I ask that the tonga looks after the person and that the person in turn looks after the tonga. Yeah. And when it comes to a time that the person gives or passes on the tonga, then they have the mana to do so. And or the goodwill that the tonga is given in and the goodwill yeah. of the karakia is yeah. maintained in the tonga. So nice. that's what that's what I do when I bless the tonga. That's like with uh, crystals. Mm. They say you should cleanse them by leaving them out in the full moon. That's right. Even leaving them on the dirt or the grass because, you know, they come from the earth. Mm. And that you should set your sort of, your feelings in it. So if, I don't know, you have a particular one and, and you want this one to be associated with success mm. or something, you should um, try and of like embody those sort of feelings into the the stone or the mm. crystal. Mm. Same sort of for card away. Eh? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, we are talking about crystal or pakake, his term for crystal is Fatsu Modi. Modi, yeah. yes. Modi. Yeah. Yeah. Modi stone. Modi stone. Ah. I was gifted a Fatsu Modi by some of our whanau from the Cherokee people. Oh, cool. Yeah, while I was in Oklahoma. And they kept saying to me, we're there for a few nights, about four nights, and they said, we want to give you something that's not ready yet. So they were preparing it. I realised this afterwards. They gave it to me, and it was a Fatu Modi crystal. And in there, Kōrero Tukuiho, this particular Fatu Modi was from the scale of a dragon or oh, of a wow. tanifa. 
Yeah, and actually, I've just reminded me because he's due to be fed. So this one's pretty special. Yeah. So once a year, I've got to give it some of my toto. Really? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, once this a year. This is Nick Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so once a year, I get my, um. Oh, uh, the last time I used my um, mother-in-law's diabetes thingy. You know, those. <laughs> those gives you, Yeah, those prick or those. I know if it's for diabetes. Yeah, to test your blood. Yeah. Yeah, and I feed it some toto. Wow. Yeah. And I was telling one of my cousins, she's into crystals big time. Yeah. And I was telling her about it. She goes, oh, that's different. Yeah. And same sort of thing to cleanse it. And if I want to use it to do some work and I want to use the water, not necessarily the fatumodi, I put it in and it's got its own ponami that I put it in or receptacle. Yeah. That I put it in the night before with the water and he stays in there for the night. And then the next day I wear the crystal and yeah. it came with a uh, pouch I'll wear that and then I use the way from the crystal to do my mahi. I think I've seen you wear this. You might have seen me wear it, yeah. When I wear my ponamu, mm. I definitely feel a sense of modi mm. when I'm wearing it. And I like to think, especially my, I've got this really big, amazing piece from the Aruhuro River. Mm. And it's like you're looking at, you know that eye thing on Lord of the Rings? Right, yes. Yeah, it's like it's like the you're looking at the greenstone version of that. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't seen you wear that. Oh, I'll have to I have to show you. Yeah. And whenever I wear that, because it's so solid, mm. I always feel like real grounded, mm. real like strong. Mm. And then I've got another one, that classic teardrop shape. And I feel like that one's nice and soft and feminine. Mm. Yeah, I feel a different way about that one. Mm. They totally are connected to Wairua, I reckon. Tino. Tino. All right. So down here, Tracy Cooper, we know this guy. He suggested that we talk a bit about hangu. Oh, goodness. So for those of you that don't know, the hangu is a passive sentence. Yeah, see, I do not get these at all. So patu is active, becomes passive as patua. Wait, what does passive mean? (laughs) Passive is passive. So So it's already happened? Patu means to hit, patua means hit it. Okay. Yeah, don't get too caught up in the language, yeah, the description of what it is. Yeah, so one's hangu and one's not, one's, yeah. I see this one sort of goes with someone asked about kumuri hangu. Yeah, what is that? Those are the passive endings. So kumuri is a suffix, not a prefix. Is that so the same as a fiori? Patu, yes, and the grammatical term is kumuri hangu, which, oh, is wow. this, which is a passive suffix. Yeah. Say patu becomes patua or patungia, you will hear. Yeah. Fakatu becomes fakatu ria or fakatu nia or fakatu hia. And some iwi will favour other um, fiore or kumuri hangu. Like in Tainui, we, we use a lot of nia. Yeah. Fakatu nia. I've heard if you don't know which one to use, just use nia. Yeah. But some, like inu, is always mia. Inumia. Yeah, inumia. Kaingia? Kaingia or kainga. Kainga, yeah. Yeah. Kaingia, kainga. So those are the kumuri hangu. Yeah. And that answers someone else's question. So you've got tia, ria, mia, hia, ngia, tia. What else is Sometimes there? Sometimes is there just a? Yeah, ah, like patua, mahia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so mahi is just task or job or work, and mahia is to do to it. do the work. Yeah, do it. And then mahiatu, just do it. That's yeah. a kiwa, mahiatu. Mahiatu. Yeah, so that's what hangu is. 
already hung or passive sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, this could be a topic all in itself. Some of most of these are, but most of these are, man. Yeah, no, yeah, did yeah, not yeah. know yeah. we were going to talk little, that long about yeah, Pounamu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, those are the kumuri hangu for hangu, and I think it's just got hangu as as part of yeah, yeah. And um, it's quite but, broad. Like, there's correct and incorrect ways of using hangu. Yeah, can you give me an example? Honestly, this is one I always struggled with because, like, okay, so I'd say mahi a te mahi, yeah, which means do the work. I'd say me mahi te mahi. So there, mahi a te mahi is a directive or an imperative. Yeah. So I'm I'm telling you to do something. I'm yeah. come out, it's a command. command. Mahi a te mahi, and I could say me mahi te mahi. And you've taken away the hangu. Yeah, and I removed the hangu. Me mahi te mahi. I could say me titiro kite or the I could say tirohia te rākau. Yeah, they both mean the same thing. You don't mix them together. So I don't say me mahi a te mahi. I say me mahi te mahi. If they both mean the same thing, why would you use one or the other? Well, it's up to you. It comes down to your way of using the language. Your, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's no like certain situations where you would use one over the other. It's just your sort of preference. I think it's... Uh, that's when psycholinguistics, I don't know if, they, if that's the right term, but it comes down to your way of speaking and it does in a sense that it's also to do with the flow of your language. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes me mahi or me something is going to be better than just using the hangu. Yeah. I could say me whakatutuki tēnei mahi. That definitely sounds... There's a difference between whakatutuki ngia tēnei mahi. Yeah. So, yeah, the emphasis, again, me... Yeah, that sounds me, real directional. Real, yeah. like, commanding. Yeah. The so, other one sounds a little bit Yeah, and one's urgency and things like that. So all of those sorts of things come into play when, when you're picking... As you're learning, though, you don't, you know, I'm going to use this. Yeah. I'm, I think I'm going to use this one or that one. When you become more of a confident and fluent speaker, then... It, just those flows. things just flows. Just flows. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So there's some. That's one today with the hangu, and the other one is, yeah. So eh always follows, which which tells you who is acting. So i patu a hau i te kuri. Yeah. I hit the dog, and if I was to pacify that, it would be i patu a e au te kuri. Oh, and the dog so was hit by me. You also take out the little hono word, right, so you take e. out the e. Yeah, and again for emphasis, i patua e o te kuri, or I could say i patua te kuri e o. Mm, right. Yeah. So the kuri patued you, yeah. rather than you patued the kuri. No, 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 I still patued the kuri. Oh, all right. <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> I still hit the dog. I've changed the dog, i patua te kuri e o, i patua e o te kuri. Ah, so, uh, okay. Yeah. So it's about what the focus of the sentence is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a little view into hangu, and again, for language or learners of te reo, hangu can trip you up a bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you're coming to learn hangu. But I've definitely been there, done that, actually, still there, still doing that. <laughs> if you listen to a lot of the, for want of a better word, good speakers of te reo Māori and native speakers and a lot of our kuya koroa, yeah. they use a lot of the passive. Yeah, no, I have structure. noticed that. Yeah. So you can, you know, you can learn a lot of this in our Te Reo courses that we run at Te Wanunga Yes, Te yes. So our suite of Te Reo courses from Te Arareo Māori. And then all through the... Pūtaketanga, Aupiketanga. Roanakitanga. Roanakitanga, Pinakitanga. Yeah, all the tangas. And maybe one, even one day, Te Panikiritanga. 
So if any of you out there are interested in jumping on one of our real programs, we honestly have something to suit everybody. And from experience, they are really fun. You can sign up or, you know, register your interest on our website at www.twoa.ac.nz. This is probably another one that needs its own episode, but here we have from Jade Moses. Her suggestion was Tito Wai for competitive kapahaka. Yeah, and I'm right in the throes of... Yes, you would be right in the throes of doing that right now. That's right. So this is about composing for kapahaka groups. Mm-hmm. Big, big mahi. I think composers are unsung heroes. They are. A lot of the groups today employ not for money, but they get they ask people to compose for their kapa because they may not have the expertise in their own lopu. Well, you know, it's an art. Yeah. Not just writing the lyric and the tunes as well and the melodies and things, but the research that goes into yeah. most of the compositions. Mm-hmm. You commit a lot of hours to. It depends though, like everyone's different. There's probably some kaitito out there that are listening composers that we all know that sometimes you're hit with the kaupapa, of the kupu yep, and the, the tune all at the same time. Yeah. Sometimes the kupu come first or you have a kaupapa yep. and you sit down and the kupu flow and then you come with your tune and you have to rehash your kupu because of the you know the, the tune doesn't fit with the kupu, vice versa. So you yep. know you got to do a bit of jiggling around. What amazes me is, you know, we're gonna, we've got 40... I forgot, we've got 40-something groups in Matatini next year. Yeah. Before then, we had all the regional competitions. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And then you look at our, um, you know, our rangatai, we've had the secondary schools. Yes, there was just more on the weekend. Yeah, and at the moment, we're having our primary schools regional competitions yep. around. And then there's all sorts of other kaupapa. And we've got thousands, maybe, yeah, thousands of compositions coming out every year. Yeah. And a lot of them, if they don't make them on, if they don't make it online or on TV, you wouldn't know about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the greatest challenges for me as a composer, and I think for my fellow composers out there, kaititos, to make sure that those waiata are still given life. And yeah. I think one of the best ways to do that is to give them on to kura, yeah, to reuse or to anybody, and not to be so precious. Yeah, and yeah, kaiponu with them and yeah. to be self hold on to them. Yeah, that's. One of the biggest things in taking out of one of the, the corridor from the late um, Dr. Ngāpō Wehi, who was one of my mentors, mm-hmm. you know, one of his sayings was, well, the, you know, composition will only be as great in the competition. And I say this to my group, God could compose something for the group, but it's only going to be as good as how the group performs it. Yeah. And the execution, especially yeah. these days, because competition Execution's is... everything. Exactly. Competition has just got so much more intense than it used to be yeah. you know it just gets yeah. more and more more and more sharp exactly so um yeah there was this little quote all about composing as someone who does a lot of composing for my own group and for other people yeah um how does how do you guys work in your rōpū like I know um from watching the series Haka Life they mm. had like a composing team mm. And where they'd sort of go away and wānanga separately from the rest of the rōpū and come up with the all of the items. Mm. Is your rōpū similar? Yep. I don't play any instruments at all. I whistle. Yeah. Those that have worked with me will tell you the story that they don't know that, that I can't play a guitar or anything. I can strum a few chords on the ukulele and I think I've, I've done two songs on the ukulele. Yeah. But mostly I'll get a tune in my head 
or I'll hear a tune and then I will rearrange it and then come up with another tune. Yeah. So a lot of the times I'll have to kupu in a tune and then I'll go to one of the cousins and say, hey, I got a tune, I got a waiata, and then we'll sit down and workshop how we can put it together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's a lot of the time in Motai, that's how most of the songs are born. Yeah. And then other times, I don't need that, and I just have to tune in the kupu, and it all comes out in one go, and we just do, do a little bit of fine tuning. Yeah. So it's, it's different. Every situation is different, and every group's different. Yeah. I suppose, though, no, no matter who you are or, you know, what group it is, it'll always be quite collaborative, eh? Definitely. I guess that's how everything keeps getting better. Mm. That fine tuning, that collaborating with people, then fine tuning it again. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I think that brings us into the end of our quarter today and straight yeah. into our Waiata Oti Wiki. And we got through like, what, five or six questions? Yeah. Which is, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I thought. We have to have another one of these sessions. Yes, well, that was only part one. Yeah. Yeah. Then pata that, pata there, there you go. Pata patai, part one. Part one. Pata patai. And tatate wayata. Taku poi. We haven't spoken about the poi, but it's not like, you know, all the wayata that we choose or that go on have a direct connection to what <laughs> yeah. we've spoken about. <laughs> um, but this is composed by one of our former colleagues, Tewanango Tero, Henemo Pohatu, and she has been gracious and given us permission to use this wayata. Oh, nice. So, Tenakwe Henemo. Tenakwe. Uh, she wrote this in 2015. Oh, it was very recent. Yeah. The kupu are quite simple. And again, as a composer, therein lies the beauty of a lot of our compositions is the simplicity of a lot of the compositions. Yeah. And while the kupu are simple and they are in another wayata about poi, she has added some of her own whakaro to her composition as well and yep. the tune is hers so anei tatata waiata taku poi Good boy. 
Composing is such an art form. Mm. I myself, well, one, I'm not that great with words in whatever language where I, I don't think I'd be able to write something as beautiful as that. And the cool thing about our Māori waiata is they're so metaphorical. Mm, definitely. They have beautiful um, kupufakaniko, kupufakarite in them. That They are really strong resources for anybody trying to learn te reo Māori. Absolutely, and I know lots of people where Waiata Māori, Kapahaka, has been the doorway into yeah. learning te reo or has ignited the passion yeah. within them because they want to know what they're singing about. Yeah, hard. Or they've sat down to like research some of the kupuan there or you know they've seen the um, beauty of composition yeah. in Waiata Māori. I think it is important, though, that you do know what you are singing about because then you can put, you know, the proper emotions and mm. wairua into the songs when you might be performing it. Definitely. Whatever. Yeah. Ko tera. There wasn't anything that I could say you were being a pee waka waka oh, about. Neither. O te rai raka, o te rai raka, o te waka waka, o te waia waka. What was the other or the, one? Was it a waka rangirangi? Rangi? Yeah, yeah. Hoia no he te iwi. Kawe ware ware ki tawa kiwa. Do you have any closing kōrero or tuahine? Nope. Just keep on listening. Fakarongo tonu mai. Yes. And we will, we won't see you, but we'll see one another. Yes. Well, and we'll be back shortly. And again, if you've got any part, I engage with our Facebook page. Yeah, send them in because you know what? We actually do read those. Yeah. <laughs> you may you may not think, but we do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And spread the word about Taringa. There's, we do have a growing listenership. Yes. Now, yeah. and you were just sharing with me a story that yes. someone recognised your voice, and this is like this is only your third or fourth show, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, oh, I think the third. And um, yeah, so I was at a conference last week, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a photographer. So I went up to these two men, and I said, "Hey, you guys look like you're ready for a photo." And one of them said to me, "Hey, I know your voice from somewhere." And after we kept talking a bit, he realised where he remembered my voice from. He said, I was just listening to you in the car the other day on Taringa when you were talking to Quinton. And I was like, oh my God, I never, never thought I'd be recognised for my voice. So that was pretty cool. Can't play. Do you remember who that was? No, I'm terrible with names. Like, oh, I'm sorry. But I'm so terrible with names. To listen to more episodes, search for us on your podcast app and subscribe. Taringa, whakarongo mai. <laughs>